Welcome to the third episode of the second series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women and customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Muscat, and in today's episode, we'll be hearing one woman's story about her experience of becoming a working mother, founding a business with her best friend in CX recruitment, and her best advice on how to get hired. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She began a career in publishing before moving into business development for new media and held various senior roles in sales before starting her recruitment business, CX Talent Limited, eight years ago, alongside fellow inspiring woman in CX, Kate Baird. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Jo Van Reensdyke. How are you today? <laughs> Very well, thank you. Awesome, awesome. Thanks so much for joining me to share your story and advice on recruitment in these crazy COVID times. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. I hope I've got something interesting for people to listen to. Oh, I've, I know your story, so I, so I know you do. And that's a great point to begin. So I know you've got a really interesting backstory. So please can you tell the listeners how you got from publishing into CX recruitment? <laughs> sure. Well, I started off really my career. It was it was working for a picture agency, which um, from um, where my clients were publishers. So we used to give them um, pictures of you know women with croissant, for example, um, <laughs> if it was um, um, a relevant story in Women's Weekly or something like that. Um, and I started off there, and I led a team of account managers because um, I really enjoyed the client relationship side of things. And then from there. I left um, and went to work for ITN and I sold, or I didn't really sell that much actually in fairness, um, of their ITN footage, news footage for new media clients, um, which was actually gaming companies. So people who made these sort of simulations of World War II um, fighter games, sometimes they'd have like a section of World War II footage, which we would sell. And I worked there for nine months and um, I was uh, made redundant, which was hideous. Um, And then I worked for a business information company called The Profile Group for eight years, where um, I had an amazing managing director who was this fantastic woman called Claire, who no doubt will listen to this hopefully at some point. (laughs) Um, And um, she really helped build my confidence up. Um, And I started off um, doing business development. Then I um, sort of ran the account management team. And then I ran the commercial team. Um, And I I suppose at that point, actually, we were sort of doing customer experience and voice of the customer type surveys Mm -hmm. in a sort of caveman drawing type way I would say Um, we had sort of customer feedback um, reports that we used to produce every month to sort of make sure that the product was getting better and better and better which actually I'd done to sort of um, protect my sales team so if the sales team figures weren't great I'd be able to say yes well that's because I told you about this and it's still not happening Um, (laughs) so that was why I did that initially Um, and um, I loved working there Um, I worked in an exclusively female senior management team which was awesome Mm. Um, and I've got some really good friends from that time Um, and then I left there and went back to my picture roots because I actually did a master's in the history of art Mm -hmm. um, 
many, many years ago. And I wanted to use that at some point in my career. So I went to work for another picture agency called the Bridgman Art Library, which was run by an amazing lady, again, um, who was called um, Viscountess Bridgman. Um, and I worked for her for nine months to make it more, the whole thing more commercial. But I actually managed to get pregnant in my first week, which was unexpected, I think it's fair to say. Um, and um, then I, so I left nine months later um, and I never went back. Uh, it was a very long commute and, you know, as sad as that was, um, it wasn't going to work. And at that point, um, my husband and I left London and moved back to the homeland, which is where I am now, which is Hertfordshire. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, where I had several friends who also returned to the homeland um, when children That's appeared. Um, and then um, I sort of spent more and more time with friends here, one of which um, is the lovely Kate Baird. Um, and together we decided we wanted to set up a business. We weren't sure what, but we wanted to do something. And so we thought that um, as we'd been hiring managers and candidates, that the whole recruitment process for people was generally pretty dreadful. Mm. And we felt that we could actually offer something good. And so we started off um, sort of trying to come up with an idea for local businesses, because a lot of our friends had sort of had quite big jobs in marketing or lawyers or finance or whatever and they all left to have children you know they were the ones that left and had children um and but you know we're all with loads and loads of talent and experience and we wondered whether we could actually harness that talent and put women into short-term contract roles um, for local businesses so they could work on a project by project basis you know you could have someone who was the, you know marketing director of the Unilever doing a marketing plan for your you know smaller business mm-hmm. um and we thought oh my god it's going to be amazing we're going to make loads of money it's going to be fabulous and it was an absolute disaster um but in so doing oddly a chap came to me um with his cv and he was a creative director at i think at ubs or somewhere like that and i was really interested thinking you know what is this and it actually turned out he was sort of a user experience customer focused person and um, another one of my really good friends was um, very senior in HR at Barclays at the time. And I asked his permission if I could send his CV to her so I could ask her where I would place someone like that. And she said, oh, this is really interesting, Joe, because we've got seven customer experience director roles, wow. uh, which we are struggling to fill. So I'll put you in touch with resourcing. So then Kate and I suddenly got seven customer experience director jobs at Barclays. Um, and their resourcing team didn't really know what they were recruiting for. Um, and the more we did, the more research we did on those roles, the more interested I became in what it was that they were doing. So, oh, hang on a second. This sounds remarkably like my caveman drawing type days, except a lot more sophisticated. Um, and we got to talk to some lovely, really interesting customer experience people in this search. And um, it made me realize that it was a massively underrepresented area. So for candidates, they were used, you know, if they wanted to move jobs, they would be told about digital marketing roles or something, you know, or customer service roles. They wouldn't be told about customer experience roles. No one really got it. And resourcing teams are really struggling. You know, what is this thing? I don't know what this thing is. Um, And so we spotted a niche. And then uh, another old friend of mine from teenage years in Bishop Stortford 
um, is a chap called Christopher Brooks, who um, is quite well known um, in customer experience. Um, and um, I went to see him, had a chat with him about, you know, do you think there's a market for recruitment um, for customer experience people? He said, absolutely, because there's just no one gets it at all. Um, and so he helped us learn about it, you know, get to grips with what it was. He was a part of our business for a while. He's not anymore because um, Kate and I wanted to be entirely independent of any consultancy. But, you know, he was a big part of it to begin with. Um, and I would always be, you know, be in his debt really for that. But um, yeah, that's, so that's how it happened. And then we've grown year on year organically, slowly. Um, a lot of our business comes from referral, which is great. Um, once you've got a client, we tend to keep working with them and then getting new work. Um, this year obviously has been slightly different, mm. um, but that's it in a nutshell, I suppose. Mm. Oh, and yeah, big up Sir Chris Brooks. He's a great ally, isn't he? So women in CX. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lovely chap, lovely chap. Yeah. Um, so just winding back a little bit to the story um, where you said you managed to get pregnant in the first nine months of a new role. Yes. First week, I think we'll find the first week. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. First week. Yeah. Um, how, how was that? <laughs> um, somewhat surprising. I mean, it was all, it, I felt really bad actually, because what I at that time, I was in my early 30s mm -hmm. and um, I had been for a couple of, uh, but I was married and I got married at 28. Um, I'd been for a couple of interviews and people had, to my face, said, well, you're in your 30s, you're married not that keen on taking you on because you're probably gonna have a baby Ooh. and it's like um oh right and of course even at that point you shouldn't really say that mm. but several several you know two or three people did actually sort of say yeah. well I think probably at your stage in life you're not the most attractive candidate <laughs> wow okay um so um Lady Bridgman you know was amazing she she liked me because I was very commercial, but I did have a history of art background because the Bridgman Art Library sell is the biggest um, sort of picture agency for fine art. And so it was quite an attract, I was quite an attractive proposition because I understood the art side, but I also understood the uh, commercial side. And that's not normally a happy need, you know, yeah. you don't normally find a mix of that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I did feel awful, awful saying to her, I'm, I've got something to tell you, I'm pregnant, mm -hmm. gulp, you know. Um, and also I felt really bad for the team because the team had been uh, sort of really shaken up by my arrival, if you like, because I was brought in to make it a lot more commercial. And so that's what I was doing. And there's a lot of very uncommercial people being um, trained and nurtured into being quite commercial people. Mm. They started to really enjoy it and they really loved that. And mm. by the end of it, you know, we had a really great relationship, but then because I was then going, I think they felt a bit, you know, oh, now you've gone and, you know, and now yeah. we're back where we were. Um, uh, so that was, that was, that was quite hard. Yeah. How long, how long, so you got pregnant in the first week of the role. Yeah. And then took maternity leave at at the day I gave birth. Oh, wow. <laughs> Why did you wait so long? <laughs> because I wasn't, because you only do maternity leave after you've been there. At that point, I can't remember what the legality of it was, but yeah. at that point, you only do, you know, you only could have maternity leave if you've been there, sort of. 
long enough. And I think I I actually missed it by two days. I think so, but it, so but fortunately, because the business was great, um, they said, well, no, of course we'll pay it, you know, because otherwise it would have been some other, I can't remember what it was back in those days. It's yeah. eight years ago. Um, but um, <laughs> it would have been some sort of maternity allowance, which was significantly less. So that's why, I, I mean, literally I had a call from, um a lady called tick who was one of my counterparts as i was in labor and her my husband saying yeah i'm really sorry she's gonna have to give you a call tomorrow because she's actually gone into labor oh wow oh wow so literally you were literally at work and went into labor yeah 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 that's interesting um and, and yeah i think you're right the um kind of stigma around women in their 30s and our um, attractiveness as talent in some cases there's been a lot of national stories about it hasn't there mm, mm. but you can't ask a woman no more children <laughs> no absolutely. Law now which is which is great that we're protected i know some of the best hires i ever saw come in um one at sainsbury's um who was my marketing director um Justin hired her when she was pregnant so he knew that's that, amazing yeah yeah so I think and she, she was incredible she did an incredible job there um so yeah I think you know the, those who would write women off because of their plans to be mothers um or would definitely be missing out in a lot of cases but I'm really glad that they've tightened up the legislation around oh god <laughs> completely and the other thing is you know once you've had a, a baby um you know your ability to condense your working into a very you know you'll become incredibly efficient because you have to be basically um you know you just squish it all into as what you know into the time that you've got um and also you have a massive guilt that you're not doing the best you could possibly do that you might have done prior to having a child so you know for employers mothers are actually quite good employees because they <laughs> really are very very committed and very very efficient yeah yeah and you're not the first person to talk about that mum guilt of trying to balance a career especially with new motherhood mm. and no matter what you do feeling like you're letting your either yourself or your child down mm. in some way yeah. by not managing to do 100 in all areas at all times do yeah you think that, that the change of working style might be helping to facilitate um a balance between work and family or is it harder <laughs> I don't know I mean I can only talk I would imagine I think it depends on the stage that your child is at yeah I would say I would say the the younger the child the more challenging the working from home situation might be um my kids are fortunately you know um now both at secondary school so yeah. they're quite self-sufficient so although most of our interaction depends on can I have some yeah. biscuits or crisps <laughs> or something yeah. um you know they fortunately don't ask me about you know can you help me with this maths for example <laughs> um and I don't need to keep them entertained and I have to be aware of what they're doing to entertain mm -hmm. themselves um but I don't necessarily have to entertain them I think if you've got children who are little particularly toddlers um any time in fact any age really up to probably year four which would be about nine mm -hmm. I think that would for, for women working from home with children at home yeah. of that age, that's really challenging, I would say. And I'm really, I feel very fortunate that I am not in that situation myself anymore. Yeah, okay, I can imagine. I know that a lot of my friends who are parents celebrated when the nurseries opened again, mm. um, because they found it impossible to work with yeah. toddlers around. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, so yes, yeah, so it kind of back to your story again. Like I absolutely love the fact that you started a business with your BFF. Yeah. And um, some great kind of background there with lots of kind of female only teams and female run businesses. What's it like to work with your bestie? Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. It is awesome. Kate is one of the funniest people I know. And so no matter how dark the day and, you know, recently there have been some pretty dark days. Um, You know, I can't pretend we're hugely busy because we're not. Things have changed in the recruitment world quite a lot. But no matter how dark the day, there is always something that we will find to laugh at. And I you know my she is a huge like my my rock completely so if I'm having a bad time she boisters me up and vice versa so you know she we we complement each other quite well I'm very commercial I'm quite here I am you know (laughs) um and Kate's brilliant because she has run businesses she's great on the stuff that requires reading and detail and stuff that I am not good at. Mm. Um, so she's absolutely brilliant mm. at that. Um, mm. She's getting a lot, she's getting a lot more jazz handy. So I'm going to have to up my game, I think slightly. Um, but um, yeah, no, she's, she is brilliant. And, you know, together we have really helped each other through definitely this very, very difficult time. And we celebrate the great times and we commiserate the bad times. So mm. What can mm. I say? I, I recommend it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I suppose there's always a risk, isn't there? Like combining business and friendship. But when you get the balance right and it's the right balance of kind of personalities and skills and talent. Yeah, I can imagine being yeah. in a situation and having a bestie uh, through these times in business and in your personal life is a real asset. It, it really is. I mean, I, I mean, we trust each other implicitly. So mm. I know that she was always someone I can completely rely on mm. completely 100% and I know that she feels the same about me and mm. I think that we are so lucky to have mm. that relationship and to have each other you know I know there are lots of other people that have that of course mm. um but you know it really you know Kate and I are very personable people and it really plays to I think the strength of our business that you know we are very open and transparent and honest and yeah. kind I, I'd like to think yeah. and that's really what we want our business to be like um yeah, yeah. so yeah your purpose it lives in your friendship and in your business and in the service that you provide yeah to, well I hope so yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I can see that from the social media posts yeah. as well um so just back to kind of what you were saying about um COVID's really changed the recruitment world mm. what have you seen as the biggest differences for hiring managers and candidates during this crazy time <laughs> Okay, the biggest difference is there are a lot less jobs. Um, (laughs) Number one, there's a lot less on the market. Um, Companies have obviously put hiring freezes in place. They want to protect the staff that they have. And of course they do. And rightly so. And, you know, and that's good. That's a good thing. Um, So for candidates, you know, that has meant that it's become even more competitive than it was already. And you've got to be absolutely on point when you apply for a job. Your CV has got to sing and shout to that job description, because if it doesn't, you'll get rejected pretty much because the volume. I mean, for hiring managers, the volume of applications per role 
is absolutely humongous. Mm. What I will say is that, you know, having, you know, we occasionally advertise for roles uh, if we don't have enough people with the right skill set in the right location for the right money. Um, otherwise we take from our network. But, um, you know, when we do advertise for roles, probably about 95% of the applicants are wrong completely. Really? So usually, yeah. Because people apply for jobs just to apply for a job sometimes. And you think, why have you done that, you random person? You know, <laughs> clearly, you clearly, you know, even with the questions that you have to answer saying, yes, I have five years of customer experience experience. You really don't, do you? <laughs> really don't. Um, I think a lot of people do that. And I think particularly at the moment, there is a tendency for people to panic and to scattergun apply for things and that is the biggest waste of time you could ever ever do ever 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 do not scattergun apply for jobs because it does not work um you know you need to be meticulous you need to be um you need to do your due diligence you need to check that job is real and you know if it's an agency call the agency don't apply to the agency call them up say talk to me about this role make sure that it's live make sure you know who the client is, um, you know, and then, and then, you know, if you then talk to the agency, it's quite likely if you are right for that job, they think, oh, hurrah, yes, don't bother applying on our advert, please send me your CV directly. Um, you know, uh, you've got to be absolutely on point when you apply for a job, your CV has got to, got to, got to be tailored to that job. And if it isn't, then, you know, you're not going to get through the net. No, unfortunately not. And it's grim, grim, grim. And recruitment is broken, broken, broken. Um, and I would absolutely love to be the person that changed it to be great. And so when people think I've got to recruit, they think, they think, hurrah, I've got to recruit. I can't wait. You know, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> no one thinks that. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it would be good if they did. Yeah. So, so that was one big tip there about tailoring your CV to the job role. Is, is that like using words that are in the JD, repeating those, giving yes. examples of exactly when I did this thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing, one thing that I think is really helpful, you have to remember that when um, you apply for a job, it is quite likely that you will, if you're applying directly to a client, mm -hmm. you will be looked at first by in-house resourcing. Mm -hmm. Now, in-house resourcing vary in brilliance, just like recruitment consultants do. Most of them are old recruitment consultants. Mm. Um, and they also work, which I never really realized, on several more roles at one time than a recruitment consultant mm. does. So an in-house resource can be working on anything from, depending on the organization, from like an engineering role or a finance role or a marketing role. Um, and you can bet your bottom dollar when they get a customer experience. Well, I think, oh, God, not, not this again. <laughs> I still don't know what it is. Don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> actually got no interest in it at all um, and so you know remember they've got volumes and volumes of cvs to get through so they're going to just look at it they look at it on average for six seconds wow and so if you don't hit them in the face as being obviously right for that role in that six seconds you will be discarded i mean obviously you must never ever 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 lie <laughs> tell them it's truth yeah. um, on ever but what's a really good thing to do is to detail um from reading the job description you should be able to see what the key skills are that they're looking for and it's quite nice underneath your 
initial profile to detail your key skills so that that in-house we make it as easy for that in-house resourcer as possible if you imagine yeah if you imagine <laughs> if you imagine talking to one of your friends who doesn't understand what customer experience is right um, and I'm sure everybody has got friends that don't, that don't understand what customer experience is and they'll go so what is it again yeah. and you have to explain to them in the most basic of terms what it is that customer experience is you can kind of need to emulate that on your CV when you're applying for a job because then you're making it easy for that in-house resourcer who's possibly overstretched doesn't understand it make it easy for them to see oh look at that oh hurrah this is a good person here we go through to the hiring manager and if you are a hiring manager anyway then you know when you get a whole load of CVs on your desk you do not read the CV from cover to cover you do not read every word you also glance at a CV mm. for about maybe 10, 20 seconds. <laughs> Slightly longer. So, you, know, um, you have to imagine if you are a hiring manager that you were applying to yourself on the very worst day mm. of your life when everything's going wrong, you've got meeting after meeting after meeting mm-hmm. and there's a pile of CVs and you've got to leave early so you've got to get through them. So you know on that very day, you are going to look at those CVs for 10 to 20 seconds. You're not going to read them. So appeal to yourself as if you were you were recruiting yourself mm, as well I mean mm. that's my probably my best piece of advice put yourself in your hiring manager's shoes yeah. but CX professionals yeah. we should be good at that you know, yeah you know, because of our, our skills in empathy and understanding our customer so thinking about kind of getting a job a, a bit like customer experience <laughs> yeah basically that's what, exactly it what's your point of view on photos on CVs no my... definitely no no okay no hmm. no that's a big no from me uh, <laughs> that's very clear no and there's several reasons for that a lot of companies now um are very strong on anti-discrimination the minute you put a picture of yourself on a cv you can see whether you're off you're female you're white you're mm. black what, what whatever you know and that instantly can prejudice somebody against you or for you right um also cvs um, shouldn't have a you know if you're applying via an ATS system photos just will cause it not to see you mm. what CV should be in my opinion um, in word very basic no pictures no graphics mm. no links very plain very easy for any ATS system to read at all so definitely no pictures so sometimes well I don't do it anymore but when I had contracting jobs because I'm a a service design CX design specialist my CV looks very pretty and it has a picture Mm. on it so I shall bear that in mind (laughs) in case I get back into that market well I think the thing is pretty CVs have their place Mm. if you for example get contacted by somebody so I'll tell you what send me over your CV and it's a hiring manager then it's entirely okay to send a pretty CV yeah. But don't apply for a job. Using I get you. Okay, I see the difference. Yeah, yeah, I guess I was already kind of in there when. Yeah, well, well then that's with different con- with um, short-term contracts, yeah. and pay rate kind of roles. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks for clarifying that. There's probably good yeah. advice for, for everyone out there. Um, I noticed as well. So something I, I'd noticed that had changed. I was chatting to somebody the other day, and the whole recruitment process was obviously all done online. And mm. I think they're about three months into the role now. I've still never met their boss in real life. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> how how do you deal with the kind of like online interview process so let's say cv's 
been bang on the money. Um, the, the SEO search words have all been perfect for the system to pick up or the recruiter who perhaps doesn't understand what CX is. Mm. Uh, you've got to the stage of, of having an interview. Um, how how can you deal with the difference in, in not physically being there? How do you present well, yourself well online? <laughs> I mean, obviously you've got to, you know, you've got to, whether you're wearing pajama bottoms, make sure you're wearing a nice top. <laughs> right um i've actually got I, my, gym, my gym leggings on still at the moment oh well, why not why not <laughs> why not i'm not going to show you what i've got on um, right but, um obviously look nice and be professional and you need to treat it as if it was a face-to-face interview and actually you know uh, zoo, I, I personally find zoom conversations as if i was sitting in a meeting talking to somebody mm-hmm. you know be yourself be authentic Mm-hmm. um is the most important thing don't try and be something that you're not yeah. prepare for it by making sure that you have researched the company you have read through the jd several times over mm-hmm. so you know exactly what they're looking for mm-hmm. but also one thing that kate and i really advise people to do before anything is write what we refer to as a brag sheet um, now what this is is sort of like a book of you if you like so write down all the stuff that you have done in your career that you're really proud of now that can that's obviously customer experience stuff of course mm-hmm. but it can be anything from you know personnel development you know if you've had a difficult team member did you bring them around how did you do that you know did they do really well after that um, you know write about things like you know when you've done amazing stakeholder engagement you've changed someone's mind you've got them to buy into something um, you know anything that you find that you are super super proud of mm-hmm. write it all down all down mm-hmm. you know on a piece of paper however you want to do it and you can write it in as much detail as you wish because the mistake that so many people make when they come to interview is to, and I get this all the time, how did the interview go? How was it? Oh, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. But I used a really random, they asked me this question and I used this really mad example and I don't know why because I've got so many good ones and it's like, great. Oh dear. You know, um, I've been there myself. I've done that. Yeah. Well, yeah. But if you write down all the stuff that you've done that you're really proud of, you're less likely to allow that to happen because you've got your internal database of stuff. So if it's written down in front of you, you're more unlikely to come up with a random example and to come up with the one that really exemplifies what it is they're asking you mm-hmm. about. And generally speaking, customer experience, they want to they want to have examples of when you've done stuff that's great, that's mm-hmm. changed things. Or mm-hmm. equally, they may want an example of when something hasn't worked and what did you do to make it better? Um, so you know, just be prepared. That's all you can do. But if you write your brag sheet, then you'll stop yourself from making those mistakes. And it reminds you in dark days of not having any work. And it can be really, really awful for people. Mm. It just reminds you how awesome you are, actually, yeah. and how employable you are. And you sometimes you really need to be reminded of that. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea just to write your brag sheet anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you never know when you might need it. You might need it, but just to make, make yourself feel good. Um, I, I know, yeah. like, personally, it's been really challenging on the consulting side. I think I might go write my brag sheet after this, just to remind myself, I am awesome. <laughs> yeah, you should do. You should do, definitely. Just speaking about um, coming up with examples, and um, that would probably be for a competency-based interview, wouldn't it? Are there ways yeah. that you can kind of guess what competencies you might get asked by looking at CVs or- no it depends well I would say it depends on the on the client I mean yeah. if when they've given us a briefing yeah. 
the client says, oh, you know, well, obviously the big, the big, I always want to know, okay, what are the really big yeses? I need this person to have this. And they give me those yeses. So it might be customer journey mapping. It might be the stakeholder engagement piece. Mm-hmm. It might be, you know, voice of the customer, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So that will be what, the technical side. I will brief the candidate on that. And I say, look, you know, these are the areas that they've absolutely categorically stated there must be really good experience in. Mm-hmm. And then that will allow them to tailor their CV, but then it will also allow them to make sure they've got those examples to hand. To so, save. you know, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if leadership is a big part, for example, then they would need to have examples of leadership of managerial stuff of turning that personnel issue into mm-hmm. a success mm-hmm. um it just you know you the, the benefit of going via an agency is that of course that we can brief you on that mm-hmm. um whereas if you're going indirectly it's a bit more challenging so you need to read between the lines on the job description about what actually they're going to ask you but be prepared for anything mm-hmm. so working with a recruiter helps both the hiring manager and the candidate make sure it is the right fit i guess I would say yes obviously (laughs) (laughs) I would say yes um there are I mean obviously at the moment companies are looking to cut costs so agencies are being written out as far as they possibly can be and you know fine that's the way that it is that's that's the world we live in but if a role is business critical it is important to get that person in quickly now we all know how customer experience is a massively misused term it doesn't necessarily you know you can need you can have someone in a customer experience role who may be strongly marketing who may be strongly operational who may be strongly technical and digital Mm -hmm. they come from all sorts of different backgrounds and have all sorts of different leanings and every single customer experience role is unique to that business okay so just because somebody has got a customer experience title does not necessarily mean that they're the right person for that job. So where we can add value is that we know our candidates. If we get given a brief, we can pretty much fill a job very, very quickly because we already have access to those people. So it makes it a lot easier and slicker and and we would hope more pleasurable for people because also we're really keen on ensuring that our candidates are really looked after as far as they possibly can be you know we work really hard as their advocates and we want to make sure they're protected and get the feedback and if it's a no why is it a no so they can improve really hard sometimes um so yes I would say it's an awesome idea to use a specialist agency (laughs) we're not the only ones but but we're not the only ones there are others um who are also very good I believe um but um you know what can I say yes I think it's great and then my final question is just so for people who are now looking for jobs, there's a lot of people in the market um, because of all the terrible things that are going on. Is it worth like trying to get in touch with recruiters directly, even if there isn't a role available right now to like get on the radar? Why not? I yeah. say, why not? I mean, yeah. in terms of an agency, I'm always happy to have CVs of customer experience people. Of course I am. I'm delighted to talk to people. I mean, my day is mostly spent talking to customer experience people. There are very many worse jobs that you can have. Um, It's not, I would say to people right now, make sure you are active on LinkedIn because you need to be seen. LinkedIn is an incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful, you know, powerful tool. Link in with everyone you know, like people's stuff. If you want to work for, uh, I don't know, um, any particular organization and you see they've got a customer experience director who is active on LinkedIn, like all their stuff, 
comment on all their stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and also there's nothing, there's no harm in reaching out to people and saying that, you know, I'd love to work for an organization like yours because mm-hmm. there could be a contract role. Mm-hmm. There could be an opportunity, you know, in the future, there's absolutely no reason you shouldn't do that. And even if it just results in a conversation, conversations are great. Yes. It's another it's another expansion of your network. You know, nothing is ever lost by having a chat with somebody ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, I think people are a lot more open now to having conversations with other people. Yeah. Um, because I think because of this whole COVID thing, and also because you know we're all not working in the same sort of way. Yeah. So I don't think there's any harm whatsoever. You know, in reaching just reaching out. out to somebody, I really mm-hmm. don't. Super. So um, if people want to find more about CX talents, how can they get in touch with you? <laughs> Well, via, well, we can go to our LinkedIn. website <laughs> and LinkedIn. I'm very, I'm trying to be active. I'm finding LinkedIn quite hard work at the moment because you've got to think about new things to say all the time. And I'm thinking, I haven't got anything else to say, but I'm trying. I've got, I've got some ideas. Um, yeah, LinkedIn is a really good one. Um, our website, cxtalent.co.uk. Um, you can, uh, our numbers are on there. Our emails are on there. Um, we're always really happy to hear from people. Always. Super. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed that conversation. And I'm sure, um, as you said at the start, you wanted uh, people to get a lot out of it. I think you've given so many great tips. I'm sure sure they will have. You're one inspiring woman in CX. <laughs> Thank you, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Take care now. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Muscat. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more, please join us at womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Join us again next week when I'll be talking to another inspiring woman in CX about her experience of challenging gender stereotypes for women in the Middle East. See you all next week.